This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Adventure Trail, where we talk about all things adventurous, all things outdoors, all things extreme. Today it's just me, Mary Hoy, hosting in the studio, Mark. Agnew, my usual partner in crime, is actually away from Hong Kong today. He's off in Malaysia, where he's just climbed uh, Mount Kotakinabalu and is now enjoying the beach and the sun and the sea. We'll have him back soon enough, but today it's just me, and we'll be talking about a lot of running, but also something a little different. This past weekend, we had an exciting performance from our very own Fredlin Oberto from Hong Kong. Uh, she's actually from the Philippines, but based in Hong Kong, where she works as a domestic helper. And for the first time ever since she started trail running, she got to run on her trails back in her native Philippines. She competed in the 50km Cordillera Mountain Ultra and came fifth, which is very, very respectable in the competitive field. Um, that was an amazing experience for her. She got to see the mountains, run on the mountains that she's looked at as a child from afar and always dreamt about going to and she finally got to run on those trails and experience what it was like to just go through those ridge lines, run on those mountains, figure out how to get up and down. Not very many stairs, unlike in Hong Kong. Coming up this weekend, we will also have the Rebel Walker, where people will run the Maclehose backwards. They won't run backwards, they'll run the trail in the opposite direction from west to east rather than east to west, as they typically do. Um, and with that, the trail running season will be coming to an end somewhat over the next couple of weeks, but we will have a lot of action elsewhere. And today, kind of in that, on that note, we'll bring in someone a little different than who we've typically had on the show. We'll have Lloyd Belcher, who is a filmmaker, photographer, outdoor extraordinaire, and we'll ask him all about what it's like to be on the trails and capturing the action, not as a competitor, but as a photographer and filmmaker. Lloyd, thank you so much for coming on to the Adventure Trail. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Mary. It's good to be here. So we often hear about the athleticism that's involved with running 100 kilometers, 100 miles, being on the trails for hours and hours and hours. But what we don't often hear about is what it takes to document all of that action on the trails. And you've done a lot of that. Could you tell me a little bit about what kind of stamina that involves? Um, yeah, as a photographer, um, the, the obvious difference is the weights that you need to carry. So if you're shooting a hundred K or 50 K, um, trail race, um, the main issue, the main difference between someone who's running and someone who's photo- uh, photographing the event is that you're carrying the cameras and, uh, that has an impact on the body, obviously, as you're running distances and, uh, carrying somewhere between, you know, if I'm doing events somewhere between about six to seven kilos, on the back, um, and it depends how much you run. But by the end of the day, yeah, you feel like you've done a good innings. Yeah. And how many kilometers do you think you? What's the ratio of actual kilometers run by competitors and you as a photographer? Oh, it depends on the course. Um, you know, it can range anywhere between, say, with the hundred, say with the Hong Kong hundred, which I've done, which you'll be familiar with here. Um, anywhere running in between, I have a motorbike at different places and shooting off to different areas. It can be anywhere between as low as like 15 to 20 ki- uh, kilometers maybe. But some events I've done, if it's a 50K, I've ended up doing like 30 to 35Ks yeah. of that running. 
100 um, Ks, um, yeah, it can be anywhere around 40 to 50 some, sometimes. Um, I try to minimize that if it's not necessary. You don't want to be Johnny Hero, just run around with your cameras if you don't need to, and you get somewhere faster on, on the motorbike. Um, but it depends how, if it's remote accessible. Hong Kong's fairly accessible. Some countries are more difficult. Um, probably the longest one we do is the, the four trails, you know, running down. You know, obviously the runners are doing 298K. Um, I did one year somewhere pushing up to about 80 odd K of running in between and then catching different bits of transport. So when you look at the race and you have the map out in front of you, how do you figure out where you want to go and at what time and how you're going to catch different runners at the top pointy end yeah. and the middle pack? How does that work logistically? That's the, that's the absolutely key part of it um, is the preparation, logistics. Um, it's like a military operation. Um, you sit there with previous splits of runners, projected times um, between the male and the female, the gaps, because you obviously want to, uh, for me particularly, I want to get both men and women. And um, it is, it's a very... Uh, it's a key part of the uh, the job is being able to and also to be able to adjust on the fly um, when people go slower or faster than what was anticipated. So um, yeah, it's a it's a very key part of that. And I spend days. Um, and if I if I'm in another country, I'll always fl try and fly in early to recce and actually see and run between parts and see how long it'll take mm -hmm. and access parts. So preparation is absolutely key. And how do you pick the most scenic spots? Because I guess you would want to stay away from the easiest spots where there are quite a lot of photographers crowding the crowding yeah. the scene. So with Hong Kong, I guess you're quite familiar with exactly where you want to go. Yeah, Hong Kong, I'm very familiar. You know, mm -hmm. this is my home. I grew up here, yeah. so I, you know, I know Hong Kong well. Um, but yeah, trying to pick out the scenic spots, and, and and but then again, as you say, the scenic spots sometimes are the parts where everyone goes to, <laughs> and so you want to offer something different. And uh, that's what I try and do. So, for instance, the Hong Kong 100 this year um, kind of figured out that Ma and San was going to be like Mong Kok MTR station up there. Yeah. So um, we did it. I purposely didn't prioritize that. I prioritized some other parts and uh, that worked out. Um, so it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a challenge to find the scenic spots and yet those spots where um, are not going to be saturated with photographers and videographers and so on. So, um, and, and if it's a place I'm not familiar with, then um, it's a matter of recceing and it just takes time to do. Yeah, this is definitely a lot of kind of insider knowledge that's required, like so much more than, it, than just kind of clicking the shutter and seeing that photo on the other end of it. How did you get into all of this? I know you're a self-taught photographer and filmmaker, but can you tell us a little bit about the journey so far? Sure, sure. Um, you know, I'm not a, uh, a, a trained photographer or filmmaker in in the normal sense of the word um i my background is actually in education i was a university lecturer um, what were you lecturing in I used to lecture in sociology and criminology here at hong kong u and previously in the uk in london and different places so um you know that was my background and and the, the link with cameras is i've used cameras for research so i use it for visual anthropology um and i've, I've just finished big doctoral research and so that was a blend of visual anthropology and criminology so I've always been comfortable with cameras but it's always been a sense of social issues and, and documentary style um, and being a person who loves mountain sports particularly running um, 
I would, I would always dream while I'm doing lectures and in between marking papers and losing the will to live about how I could be, um, hopefully take my cameras that I'm using for research and social issues uh, into an environment I'm, I'd probably far more enjoy and, um, and took the step to do that and, and it worked out and I did that about five years ago and uh, sort of left the lecture hall and changed the office scenery. So did you just start volunteering to cover folks, uh, to cover races and then realize that there was demand for this and that you realized that the, the, the skills transferred from the visual anthropology, visual ethnography onto the trails? Um, it, was, it was a gradual process. Um, it, what happened was I just rocked up and there was a Lantau Two Peaks race back in uh, 2013. And uh, living on Lantau, just went up to Sunset Peak um, took some photos of runners going by and uh, just posted it on my Facebook and it went from there really. I got a lot of interest, um, people seemed to be yeah, quite engaged with the photos and after that I just got invited to work on events and get paid so I didn't even need to volunteer. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a, I've been very fortunate in some ways so um, yeah, that's, that, was, that was the humble beginnings of it all. And how do the skills of framing, like picking subjects, framing, um, framing the photo, how do those transfer from the visual ethnography on your research academic side to being out in the mountains? Um, for me, there's, there, there is a direct transfer. Some, some, on the aesthetics, the composition, maybe so. Um, but for me, more so, it's the underlying philosophy of about how I approach image capturing. Um, whether that be with a film camera or with a stills camera. Um, you know, being an ethnographer and someone's in, interested in social issues, social space and how behavior, um, you know, people display behavior in different spaces, then um, that affects my sports photography. Um, I'm always looking for a narrative. I'm always looking about that interplay between a person, their environment and, and the behavior they're, they're displaying as they go through that environment and how you then convey that through an image. And uh, that's, that's something that's, you know, that's part of my DNA mm. as a photographer because I'm hardwired that way as a social scientist to, to um, under, try and understand those issues through visuals and how to convey them. And previously that was through research. And now it's through you know, a very simple thing like social media or in a magazine or, or so on. But the, the principle is the same. For me, I'm looking for that that um, narrative that will come through in an image. So people will, will take a bit longer to look at your image. Mm. Think, oh, there's something there that you know I'm engaged. Um, yeah, and 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 you know, there it goes to a different level. Yeah. And how does that narrative come across in a race? Because often it's just a matter for for maybe outside observers, it's just a matter of covering that distance on your own two feet from point A to point B. And how, how do you as a photographer then look for that narrative? Maybe you already know some of these runners and know their backstory, or maybe there's some of the context, or how, how do you look for that? Sometimes it, it, the narrative is not so much about the, the, pers the, you know, the personality of the person. Mm. Sometimes that will come through, um, but sometimes about the journey they're on. So how they're moving through that space and that environment. And you can do that in different ways on a, 
on a, on, a, on an aesthetic level you can do that in terms of composition so you can give a you know the scale of the landscape if someone's coming up hill and suffering you know giving a sense of where they're coming from within the picture and and using different leading lines or whatever it might be in the composition to show that journey they're on and why they're looking as they do rather than just getting a certain shot where you're you know a tight shot with with the person so you can do that on the aesthetic level um, but also being able to capture the person where they're in their own space so you're almost like intruding in their space um, I try to aim for a, an amount of a degree of intimacy in a photo where you feel almost like uncomfortable you're in there um, observing the, the image and um, you, you, sometimes I'll be uh, you know people might call you a bit of a guerrilla photographer you, you, you're hiding in a bush or or whatever but it's trying to get that sense of what that person is really feeling at that time and so you don't get the you know the classic v sign hong kong salute that absolutely kills your image yeah you want that intimacy and, and really feeling what that person as a runner is going through at that particular point in time and which part of a race do you think would be your favorite to, to document and to photograph it's never the start and it's never checkpoints okay. um <laughs> which is ironically where you find most photographers. Um, uh, it, it will depend on the, on, on, on the course, but it's, it's usually the part where, as a runner, where you experience that, that part where you, you know, you're almost empty of yourself. And you, you know, if you're in 100K, it could be in the latter stages, and, you, and you're in that sort of zone where you're just running and... Um, it's your energy spent and you're just running on on adrenaline or emotion and desire to get to the end and it's at those points where you find that the real spirit or or, or emotion comes through into the images as well it, it can be earlier it can be in different parts of the race but those are the points that you get to and it doesn't have to be running i've done different other types of sports and, and you you get that and there's an engagement there in the camera that's that will be different from when somebody's you know, in the, in the early stage of the races, so. And is there an event or an assignment that sticks out in particular to you as something that had all those elements that came together where you had the narrative and the emotions just super powerfully coming together in the frame in front of your lens? I, I can name a few. Um, recently, um, I filmed the uh, Hong Kong Four Trails. Right. And so that wasn't stills, but that came through on the camera, I think, with, with the video that I shot. Um, I recently did the Ultra Gobi, which was a 400k race, and you know, people are absolutely spent. You don't have to wait too long before you get those raw emotions. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that that was that was a, a a really meaningful time as a photographer, being able to capture that as people really wrestled and battled with different challenges through a 400-kilometer foot race. Yeah, with the Hong Kong Four Trails Ultra Challenge, I found myself just constantly refreshing the Facebook page and waiting for your video to come through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Sometimes they're a bit late because <laughs> it was such a brutal turnaround time for those. Yeah, is that the first time that you've had such a such a tight turnaround for this event? Where you, it was, I guess, over, th yeah, you worked through three nights or was it two mm. nights? Uh, yeah, it was three nights, three. yeah. Um, so we produced three daily highlight videos um, through that time and there were, there were different ones, little little sort of tasters as well uh, during that time but the main um, highlight videos yeah there was three of those and yes it was it was tough yeah really looked like a yeah. marathon it was it was actually yeah, going to your question it was the first time i've actually done a 
uh, an event video which is done at highlight so it's such a quick turnaround usually i'll, I'll you know it will be a like the hong kong hundred or different videos i've done of races um it will be a, a longer uh, turnaround time although the hong kong hundred i had to have it ready for the post race gathering which was only 24 hours later so i was up through the night as well editing that um yeah so but on the whole it tends to be less brutal in terms of turnaround times yeah and you've done a lot of both photography and film was the first your your initial filmmaking experience was for your phd dissertation was it mm. Could you tell me a bit about that? That was on Nepalese drug users in Hong Kong. Well, it was an initial one. I, okay. I, I, I've done I've done other bits of filming for research, um, but that was definitely the main mm. body because I've worked on that for it's only seven years to do a PhD. You know, it was a, it was a it, the field work was uh, just over a year of filming, and um, yeah, very different from uh, the the normal filming I do, or or main, should I say what I'm probably associated with. Well, actually, my background is more what I've done with a PhD. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was very different. I was filming with uh, people who use heroin um, in, in Hong Kong from the Nepalese community. And how did you get in touch with this community and decide to research and learn more about them? Uh, that was the hardest part. Okay. <laughs> Not everybody wants you to rock up with their camera while, mm. you know, while they're using heroin. So, uh, yeah, that took a, it took a long time to... to to get the trust to be able to do this actually that was the, the hardest part definitely filming was far easier mm. than gaining access and gaining trust for that um, so I spent months and months just hanging out with people on street corners in Yamade and and Jordan area and um, yeah having cups of tea and noodles and that and it, months later did I get a camera out um, so the camera became an extension of a, of a natural sort of mutual trust relationship that had already been established. So uh, there was no way I could have just rocked up with my camera at the beginning and say, I wanna, I'm making a film about drug use. <laughs> <laughs> Would you mind if I just film you doing your, your thing? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely, but I, you know, I'm, I'm from a research bag. I'm completely aware of that and uh and it but it was still the, definitely the most difficult thing i've ever done and from there your kind of your next major filmmaking endeavor was the documentary on mirror eye was it uh that started that that started in 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 during my phd the actual field work of um of the um phd work my doctorate work was started after filming mirror um, so it actually delayed it a bit um, because it's, I didn't expect Mirror to take off as much as it did. So that had an impact on actually on my field work. Um, so then I did my field work um, filming, and uh, yeah, so that was to 2016 that Mirror came out, and then um, yeah, the PhD I started in 2017. And now you're working on another film project that That's, you've just come back from or some some filming yeah i've just come down from mount kinabalu um la this last week so i've been filming for um a new film called Runkopi, um which is a local dialect um name i really wanted i think you can probably now work out as a you know coming from an ethnographic background why you know I, a certain style i do about filming i i, I really um i'm into people speaking in their own native languages um, and it's authentic. So Mira was mainly in Nepali mm -hmm. rather than trying to insist that Mira try and speak English to me at the time. 
and even with wrong copy it's in Dusan dialect as well so uh, there's very there's very little English in that film so and that's also uh, focused on runners in the in the mountain area um, yes um, running is probably um, a backbone to it but mm -hmm. I really don't want to get into a running sort of like mm. box um, so it very much is a um, social cultural um, perspective so I'm looking at a lot of the history and traditions around Kinabalu um, and and how running has been part of that but definitely not just running um, there's so much more to it than that um, but the principal characters um, running is their expression yeah. and what what's the motivation behind doing a film on this particular community um, it was just the right idea at the right time um, when I finished Mira, and I finished my PhD more importantly, and I had the time and sanity to even consider something new, that, um, and, and, I, and I, I'm between Hong Kong and Malaysia at the moment, so I do a lot of work here, but my, my family's based in South Malaysia at the moment, so I bounce between the two. So, you know, I'm quite involved with the Malaysian culture, and I work a lot on Kinabalu for different other things, so um, it was an idea, and I was, you know, observing people and somebody suggested um, a, a, an idea about how I could work with them uh, on this and so it just went from there and, and I want to do something that was different from uh, what I did with Mira. It wasn't too different um, but it was enough to to um, get my interest that I could throw myself wholeheartedly into it. And if you had to choose or compare between uh, photography and filmmaking what are some of the different elements that speak to you more or less about each medium? Uh, in terms of choosing between, I, I like the fact that I, that I have both because there are times when I get tired of just doing photography and filming gives me a different creative stimulation. And, 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 and the same goes for filming. Um, of course, they're, they're connected, but not every photographer can film and, and vice versa. I've been quite fortunate that I can do both. Um, actually, when I started this, started out, I anticipated I'd do more filming because that was more my background. Um, but actually, photography has probably taken off more. Mm. But a lot of that's been because of my time that I've been able to dedicate to what I'm doing. I've only been working at a, a part-time um, sort of workload over the last few years. People might think I'm full-time. I haven't been. I've been doing a PhD, but, uh, you know. I've only been working about 60% of my, of my week, weekly hours. So I'm probably going to be doing more filming mm -hmm. over the next few years because I enjoy it more at the moment, um, the whole process and the creative process and so on. So there, 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 are, there are different, obviously, dynamics involved. There's a lot more involved with filming, a lot more equipment to carry around. You can't run around doing a 100K race with just six kilos we were filming. But now it's getting lighter. It's getting closer but in terms of the sort of filming I like to do um, it is it's a different ball game uh, in terms of in terms of that um, but I, I like I like longer processes at the moment anyway if you ask if we did this maybe next year I might tell you if I like photography I'm sick of filming but at the, at the moment that's what I'm liking is the whole process of of filming storyboarding narratives film uh, you know actually capturing the process working with translators you know they become quite big projects and i like what that actually demands of me so yeah 
Yeah, I remember seeing a video that you put up um, that really um, put together video and photography and that you had, I think maybe it was a GoPro on top of your camera and you were showing people the process mm. uh, before and after the 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 actual clicking of the shutter and did you call, what was you called it no take two yeah, yeah. I, I really like that could you tell me a bit about the thinking behind um, why you wanted to let people into be, the behind the scenes behind the camera process um, was that for yourself or to to educate the next culture next generation of photographers yeah I, I get asked quite a bit like about how you how you take photos and um, it was an idea at first I didn't actually expect to share it um, I do photography workshops and so sometimes I, I, I show these things within my workshops about what was involved with images as I am actually teaching on them and um, it struck a chord with a few people oh, I'll stick it online and uh, yeah then people are just generally interested and I think as well it's it's to show like not just for myself but there's a lot of hard-working other photographers out there and what goes behind those images that people are looking at on Monday morning in their aircon offices when they should be working and it's on Facebook and, you know, <laughs> and, and what that photographer's actually done to, uh, I think people are interested in that. I'm always interested in watch, when I watch a film, I like the director's cut mm -hmm. or whatever. I like to see how, you know, the behind the scenes of actually how they actually shot that movie because you, sometimes you appreciate what's actually gone into doing that I, and, and it's funny like I, I have a daughter and we're the same first things we we turn to when we get a dvd is we want to see how they shot it we always go to the bits like the behind the scenes because we when we watch the film we've got the context of what was involved and um yeah i guess that's the same motivation mm. and i'm sure you've taken a, like hundreds of thousands of photos over the over your career and many hours many tens of hours of hundreds of hours of video it, are there particularly challenging or, or photos behind which there is a particularly challenging or memorable story for you? Oh, yes, yeah, so many. Um, so many. If you're just talking challenging, yes. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I, I can't think of one in particular one that would be the most challenging. But I like to think that majority of my photos were challenging because I, I like to think that I've worked hard for those photos. Um, and yeah, I think that hopefully my images have a lot of sweat on them. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And were there instances where you thought, well, I've missed a shot completely or this really wasn't a great event? And then you go back and sit down and you realize, actually, like that all worked out quite well. Rarely. Rarely will I not know. Mm. Like I, I have a gut instinct when even I don't need to look at the image that I know if I've nailed it. Um, and I know when I fluffed it as well. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that's what you get paid for is your low attrition rate as a as a photographer. You can't fluff things. Um, it, it will happen. We're human. Um, and, you know, so I had an instance recently. I was filming a, a race and um, the battery was running dry. And I had been like conserving it, not looking at the images um, on the viewfinder and trying to keep it low, but I was in the middle of nowhere, had nowhere to charge. And what, at a key moment, I had to, um, I didn't have the battery in the, in the camera. It had no juice left. And uh, so I had to like belt after the person and pull out another camera. And uh, so I had a contingency, it wasn't mm -hmm. a plan A, 
but I think that's part of experience of working um, in this environment. You, you, especially if you're being paid for a job, you can't say to a client, sorry, I didn't get the shot. And you always got to have a B camera or something. Um, and, and so, so yeah, it may not be your ideal, but you've got to have something. And mentally, that, that pressure that you're talking about, a lot of runners talk about you know, the mental game and the psychology of having to prepare for a race. How do you deal with the pressure of knowing that you only have one shot? at covering this fast moving series of subjects? Yeah, it, it is pressure, it is stress. Uh, I won't say it's not. Um, and you, you do get better at uh, handling it. Um, and then because it's your job and you know, you're being paid to do this, um, it's a different pressure from like, you go out to run, perform, okay, you might have sponsors and your DNF um and 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 so on there's a pressure you know and a disappointment that might go with that but that's it's, it is a different pressure when i know that in a sense that's kind of your job um well it is your job for a lot of people i know that is their mm. job um and for myself yeah i i won't have a chance to to redeem um right. and i've just got to do it mm. um and so beforehand um it, it can be very it depends on the race but it can be very pressurized um, in terms of be, making sure I get there. And I think probably the most stressful is actually not races. Um, I do a lot of commercial photography, working for brands. And, um, you know, I get a brief from a, a brand to do that. And that, for me, sometimes is actually more stressful because you have, you know, only one or two hour window period to work with a certain star within whatever field they're in. Um, and... You've got to nail the shot based on what they've given you on the mood board or concepts and how you interpret it. And then it goes back to the, the art department or marketing and in a, maybe in another country in the head office where they're looking at it. And I find that more, more stressful than races, mm. you know, because that, that really is the heat is on. And a lot of people will see that photo. Yeah, I guess you can't DNF as a photographer. That isn't quite as acceptable as it is for... You know, a runner having a bad day. Well, you probably never hear about it as well. Yeah, um, yeah just be very quiet and embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just shifting slightly, I remember seeing you have a series of photos where you have top runners running in professional uh, like work gear. Mm. Um, what was the thinking behind that? What did you want to show? Yeah, that's a, that's a project I, I called Blurring the Lines. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just a personal project. Um, there are different things I would do when I just feel a bit stale and I need to mix things up and creatively just give myself a, a challenge. And uh, I had an idea because I was shooting more lifestyle, um, sort of borderline fashion with, with a few clients. And I started to think about um, just blending between those that I knew were um, good athletes in different disciplines they weren't just runners i had runners dancers um cyclists and i just i i, I just started you know just seeing images of these athletes um in their chosen discipline sports but wearing you know trendy gear whether it be like a, a tuxedo or um, a cocktail dress and so just blending and using a bit more sort of a different feel. So getting a makeup artist, using a bit better lighting and, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, I just went from there. 
it was a personal thing and I hired people, I paid people, but it wasn't really a, for anyone in particular, it wasn't commissioned. But I, I do plan to one day, when I, when I have the time, is to maybe publish a series mm. um, of these photos. And do you feel like you yourself are blending and blurring a lot of lines, just wearing so many different hats as an academic, a researcher, a filmmaker, a photographer, an outdoor junkie, runner, all those things? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, for me, life's too short to just, you know, for me to be stuck in one route. Um, yeah, I, I like to do different things. Um, and and, and in, in terms of my work, uh, I hope that it can't fit into one box, although I'm more associated maybe with running and photography. Um, I'd like to think there's more to my work than that. And it keeps me stimulated and I actually enjoy it. And um, it, it goes against the grain. A lot of um, advice you'll get is just stick at what you're good at with photography. If you're a good sports photographer or a good man, just stay there. You know, it's important to have an identity as a photographer. Um, if you're a wedding photographer, fashion photographer, whatever. But I, I don't agree with that. Um, I think your best work comes through is when you're um, happy doing what you're doing and you're really expressing yourself through your work and you find a voice in your work. And so people can... they they, they they understand that they connect with images on a deeper level than we'll ever understand, um, and, and and that's important to me is that I'm able to find my voice, whether it be within running or climbing or yoga, or um, recently I've been doing a, a photojournalism documentary style for uh, Patagonia, the brand on how they make clothes through hemp plants. So I'm working in factories and all that, and I love it. And you you, do, you know you just find your voice and that's important to me. So thank you so much, Lloyd, for coming on to talk to us all about your craft and your adventures. If people want to uh, find more of your work, where can they go find you? Yeah, I've got a website and you can find that at www.lloydbelchervisuals.com. And you're also on Instagram? Yep, and that's uh, Lloyd underscore Belcher. Okay, great. And um, to all our listeners, you can tune in on Spotify and iTunes. Until next time. Mm -hmm.